as the song goes, you've got to serve somebody. And if you're tired of serving your sinful nature, we have some help for you. And that's all coming up straight ahead on today's edition of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. And again, welcome. This is Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Pastor Steve Converse returns us to the book of Romans, in chapter 6 to be specific, as we take a look at how to win over sin. And we have several key points along the way, and we would invite you to join them as we examine each and every one of them. If we are to win over sin, we need to give ourselves as a slave to righteousness in view of our spiritual past, present, and future. And that's where we start things off today. Please join us. Here now from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, with today's program. All right, you can turn over to Romans chapter 6. We're in Romans chapter 6, and we'll be looking today at verses 18 to 23, but I want to read the whole context uh, for us. So I'll be reading from uh, verse 15 down to uh, 23. So you can follow along in your Bibles, Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. What then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members to slaves, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But it says there, but thanks be to God. When you stop and you think about that, we were all slaves of sin. That's what he says, that though you were slaves of sin. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, with God, and yet we walk in darkness, we live in a way that doesn't depict righteousness, then the Bible says that we lie and we do not practice the truth. Pretty straightforward. So if you're saying, well, I got fellowship with God, and yet you're living in a way that's, that's not in accord with the Scriptures as a way of life, you're lying. You're living a lie. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 and 6, it says this, Whosoever says, I know him, I know God, I'm a believer, yeah, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments, once again, it says he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. And even down... A little further, it says, but whoever keeps his word, there in verse 5, in him truly the love of God is perfected. But we, by this we may know that we are in him. 
Do you want to know you're saved? Here's how you know. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. The Christian life isn't rocket science. You know, if you're calling yourself a Christian, then you should be walking like Christ. You should be living in a way that's honoring to Christ. If you're not, don't call yourself a Christian because you're probably not a Christian. 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says this. No one born of God or born again, no one saved, no one transformed by God's power, makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God. Who's saved? Who's born again? And who are the children of the devil? Who's not? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. See, the Bible is, is pretty, it's pretty simple to understand. It'd be kind of like if you got a new job and you started on Monday and you went in the first day and they said, hey, we're glad. Here's your office. Here's the work and everything. And on Tuesday, you went to the coffee shop, but you never left. And everybody that came in the coffee shop, what are you doing? Oh, I got a new job. I got a brand new job. It's great. I got my own office, everything. Okay, well, great. Enjoy your week. Great. Come in a couple hours later and you're still sitting in the same booth. I'm so excited about my new job. What are you doing? You're not living up to what reality is. Yeah, you have a new job, but you're not doing it. You're not going in to your employer, punching the clock and doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're at the coffee shop bragging you have a new job. If that's the attitude, you won't have your new job very long, will you? I don't think so. And see, we need to think about that in, in, in the way that we live for Christ. You know, if you claim that you're a Christian, then you're going to manifest righteousness. You're going to see righteousness in your life. You're going to manifest obedience. Look at what he says there in verse 17. He starts off and he says, thanks to God. Whenever you're talking about your salvation or somebody else's salvation, those should be the first lips, words off your lips. Praise the Lord. Thanks be to God. Because it's God who saved them. If you're saved here this morning, who do you thank for your salvation? Do you get up in the morning saying, man, I am so glad that I figured this whole thing out. I'm just so smart. Had the ability to look at all the world religions and, and I chose the right one. Or man, I'm so glad that guy came along and on the train and, and started talking to me. He had such a slick presentation and boy, those tracks were just so, I just couldn't resist coming to Christ. I mean, every word just dripped off his tongue like drops of gold. And oh, he just wooed me with his words. And, and, and that's why I gave my life to Christ. You didn't come to Christ because you were convinced intellectually. You didn't come to Christ and commit your life to Christ because someone had a slick little presentation or you heard some fancy preacher that had all the words right and, and made you cry. That's not why you came to Christ. The Bible says very clearly, Jesus says, no man comes to me except what? Except the father draws him. You didn't come to Christ for any other reason. But God brought you here. God saved you. And so we always thank God for our salvation because he's the one who's the author and the finisher of our faith, the Bible says. It's God alone who can break out of the, break you out of the yoke of the, the bond of slavery to sin. Only he can do that. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't come to church enough to do that. 
You can't take communion enough. You can't get dunked in the water enough. Did finally God say, okay, that's enough. Now, now you're saved. No. The Bible says very clearly we're saved not by works, but by grace through faith. And so it's important that we understand that, that it's God's grace that saves us. And it's he saved us. We didn't save ourselves. Salvation is of God and no other, beloved. There's no other name given among men under heaven by which you must be saved other than Jesus Christ. You can't get saved by joining another religion. You can't be saved by trying real hard to save yourself. It doesn't work that way. And you'll find that throughout the whole New Testament. Every time it speaks of salvation, the apostle or whoever's writing the book is going, boy, thanks to be to God. They give thanks to God. But then look at what he says here a little further. He says in verse 17, that you were once slaves of sin. You were once slaves of sin. In other words, there's a transformation that took place. You were moved from death to life, from sin to God, from darkness to light. And the only one that could do that is God. It's interesting, he says here, you were slaves of sin. That verb tense in the original language is in the imperfect tense, which basically means it's happened back here in time somewhere, but it has ongoing results. In the past, you were continually, in the past, you were continually a slave to sin. You couldn't help yourself. That's the boat we're all in as human beings. That's what the Bible says. We don't want to admit it. People don't like to hear that. I mean, you have to understand from the very start, you by nature have been a sinner continually over and over and over again. It's your nature. That's your natural condition. There's a dominance of sin in your life. It's our default. And the reason it's there is because all the way back to our mother and father and then go back all the way to Adam and Eve. That's what the Bible says. Through one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And so men and women who are born into this world are born into this tremendous condition of slavery to sin. And we've covered that back in Romans 3. Verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one, none that understands, none that seeks after God. They've all gone out of their own way. They've all become, the word means sour. In other words, there's nothing good in them at all. It's like going to the refrigerator and taking a big gulp of sour milk. Man, if you knew it was sour, you would not drink it. It says their throats are an open sepulcher. Their tongues have, been, uh, have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery in their way. The way of peace they have not known. And there's no fear of God in their eyes. That describes our culture. That describes the day and age we live in. But that's the description of the human race. They're slaves to sin. Now, we don't like to admit that. As a matter of fact, if you talk to somebody who's not a Christian, they'll say, oh, yeah, I, I'm, I don't want to get under that bondage of Christ. You know, it's, I want to be a free man. I want to do what I... You're not a free man. Don't joke. You're a slave to sin. That's what the Bible calls you. You can't help yourself. Now, by the world standard, you might be a wonderful father, or a great husband, good worker, by the world standards. But by God's standards, the Bible says clearly you're a sinner. That's your condition. You don't have any liberty not to sin. As a matter of fact, the first time that you have freedom in your life is when you will commit your life to Christ and say, God, I- I'm yours. For the first time in your life, you'll have the ability to do something that in the eyes of God is righteous, is correct. 
is honoring to him. Before that, everything you do, the Bible says, is considered a filthy rag. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how many homeless people you feed. I don't care how many people you give money to. It doesn't make any difference. That's a work. God looks at that from a non-believer and says, you know what? Big deal. You think that's going to get you to heaven? That's not going to get you to heaven. There's only one way to heaven. That's through the cross of Christ. And so he says here, you were slaves of sin. We're all there. We were all there. Everybody. I don't care from the Pope on down. But then he says this. Look at what he says. Verse 17. But you have become obedient from the heart. You have become obedient from the heart. What's he saying here? Paul's saying, you know what? This wasn't something that was imposed upon you. You know, you just didn't start coming to church and they said, oh, by the way, at our church here, here's 10 rules you got to follow to be part of our church. Oh, okay, I guess i got to do these 10 rules now. I feel pretty good about myself. That's not going to save you. That's not going to help you. You have to have your heart changed. And that's what Paul says here. You have obeyed from the heart. See, when we come to Christ, it's not something that we do on the outside that saves us. We have, to, we have to remind ourselves this over and over again because we live in a, a culture today, even within Christianity, that wants to make salvation all about raising your hand or walking down an aisle or throwing a stick in a fire at a campground or something and, quote, committing your life to Christ. So you talk to people, well, I prayed the prayer when I was five. What prayer? Well, the sinner's prayer. Really? My answer is always, so what? What's that mean? That's not even in the Bible. I don't remember Jesus going around saying, oh, you want to follow me here? Pray this little prayer, and then you can follow me. I don't, I don't remember that. When we come to Christ, it's not something on the outside that changes us. It's not some water baptism or joining a church or some other religious ritual that will save your soul. Some people go to church every week and light a candle. Some people take a pilgrimage. This is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying it's not something on the outside. He says very clearly here, it wasn't something on the outside. It says it was something inside the heart. What happened to their heart? What does it say? It says they have become obedient from the heart. They become obedient. What's that mean? Simply, they mean, that means they obeyed. They obeyed. Well, how does this fit into our theology? I mean, if we're saying that salvation is all a work of God and, and we don't play a part in it here really, how does this work out? Salvation is a work of God. The Bible clearly says that. But somehow you're not passively transported from, from death to life. You know, you don't go to bed one night as a sinner, as someone who hates God, who's someone who's, who's removed from a relationship with God because of your sin, and you wake up the next morning going, wow, I just feel different today. I don't know what happened. It doesn't happen that way. It never happens that way. You're not just involuntarily picked up and, and put over in the camp of the faithful. And we have to be careful sometimes when we're teaching on the sovereignty of God, when we come to the doctrine of election, when we come to the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Because there's some people that take that to an extreme, which I would call fatalism, to the point where, well, God's got it all figured out anyway. Nothing we can do to change it. Matter of fact, there's probably people being saved. They don't even know they're saved. There's people that actually believe that. There's theologians that believe that a person can be redeemed and not even know it. I mean, it sounds crazy, but that's what they believe. Because God already did it. He just hasn't told you yet. I mean, that's hard to understand. Listen, because you never see salvation occurring apart from the act 
of commitment to Christ. In the Bible, whenever you see salvation taking place, there's always an act of commitment to Christ that is tied to that. It's not just someone off on their own and all of a sudden, you know, boom, they're saved. No, they respond. What do they respond to? They respond to the message of the gospel. The Bible says, how are they going to get saved if they don't have, if they can't hear the message, if there's not a preacher, if there's not Christians going out sharing the message of the gospel, living the message of the gospel. And in our text here, if you look over and over again, he uses the word obey or obedience in verses 15 there to 18. And so you kind of ask the question, okay, Paul, well, what are we to obey? (laughs) I mean, do we have some book we got to follow or something? Look at what he says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to what? To the standard of teaching to which you were committed. King James, unfortunately, has that wrong. It has that reversed, which was committed to you. That's not what the original language says. It says, no, what the text clearly states is that what are we obedient to, Paul? From the heart to the standard of teaching to which we were committed. What do you obey? What are you being obedient to as a Christian? It's not just some vague thing out there in the middle of nowhere. You hear this all the time. You ask people, oh, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Really? What do you believe? Oh, I believe in God. Great. Anything else? Got anything else for me? (laughs) Because I got news for you. The devil believes in God. Big deal. I don't think he's saved last time I checked. I mean, you have to stop and you have to think about these things because people are speaking in generalities today and they're lost and they're on their way to hell because they think that somehow, oh, I I believe in Christ, I believe in Jesus, I believe in this, I believe in that. That kind of belief will not save you. There's more than that. So he says, well, what are you supposed to believe in, Paul? And he says there, the standard, or another translation says, the form of doctrine, the body of saving truth. That word standard in the original language is, is tupas, and it means this. It basically has a lot of different uses, but it has the idea of a mold being poured into a mold. Remember in well, middle school, actually, we had a ceramics class, and we used to make greenware out of the slurry stuff they'd make, and you'd pour it into the mold, and then you'd pour some of it out, and it would it'd let it dry, and you'd have a, a piece of greenware, and then you could kind of carve it down and make it nice and smooth, and then you would fire it in the thing. It would become hard, and then you would paint it, and you'd fire it again, and the paint would become all glossy. It was kind of a neat process to see. But the mold really demanded what the shape was going to look like. If I had a mold that was supposed to make a flower pot, and I pulled the stuff in there, poured it in there, and then I opened it up after a day of drying, it didn't look like a football. It looked like a flower pot. Why? Because that's what the mold demanded. See, what what Paul is saying here is when you came into this world, you were poured into a mold. And you came out after the, 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 the molten metal cooled and God put you on this earth and the mold that you were poured into was a slave of sin. That's what you were. But Paul says, thanks be to God that because of your response to the true gospel by obeying the form into which you were poured, he was able to transform you. It's like God took you and melted you down and poured you into a different form, into a different mold, to make a different form. And that's his analogy here. When God saw us as a slave to sin, by his grace, by his mercy, he said, you know what? I don't like you looking that way. I'm just going to melt you down and I'm going to remold you. I'm going to refashion you. I'm going to transform you by the power of my spirit into a new mold. And that new mold is going to be a form of doctrine, standard of teaching. You can see it over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. 
2 Timothy chapter 1.13, Paul says this, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That word form, tupos, it's used over 16 times in the New Testament. And so it, it, it's really speaking of being melted down by conviction, by the beginning, the, the saving work of the, the Holy Spirit. And now you're a brand new person in Christ. He's remolded you. He's refashioned you. What is that mold? It says they're the form of doctrine. In other words, you've been conformed to the pattern of truth of the gospel. When you heard the gospel, it rang true. And so you committed your life to Christ. And God said, you know what? I'm going to make you a whole new person in Christ. And now you're a, rather than being a statue for sin, you're a statue for righteousness. You're a statue for God. You're a statue for the gospel. And so what happens? As a Christian, when you submit yourself to certain teaching, you become a Christian stamp of that teaching. That's why it's so dangerous when people say, well, doctrine doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you believe. Yes, it does. It, it matters more than anything else what you believe. And you can see it. I've been in ministry long enough to see people's lives just ravaged by, and maybe not on purpose, but teaching that was, that was, that was wrong, that was full of errors, I mean. And, and it was important to understand that they were taught in such a way that, boy, and then, then you come and you give them the truth and they're going, whoa, wait, what are you saying? I thought everybody was going to heaven. I thought, you know, I prayed this prayer. I thought that's how I got saved. I thought I got saved by joining the church or being baptized or this or that or speaking in tongues or whatever it might be. And so you got to take those folks and you got to say, wait, here's what the truth of the Bible says. Put your experience aside. Let's see what the Bible says about this. And you have to be patient and you have to be kind and you have to be graceful. And hopefully after they're under the teaching of truth from the word of God, it will make an impact. Jesus said that when a man is fully discipled, he will be like who? Like his teacher. That's what he says. So our goal in this church is to teach the word in a way that will make you more like Christ. He's our ultimate teacher. I mean, when you stop and think about it practically, we all have different family backgrounds, right? We, we grew up, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, big Catholic family, six brothers, two sisters, mom, dad. Dad was Methodist. My mom was Roman Catholic. That made me who I am today. That impacted the way I, everything from my personality, the way I react with people, everything. And we all have that experience. Why? Because that family made a mark on us. Maybe it, it, maybe it wasn't a good upbringing you had, and so you have negative marks. Maybe you had a blessed upbringing, and you have positive marks. But you bear, really, the image of your family. That family puts you in a mold. They made you who you are today. That's why in Romans chapter 12, and we'll get to this eventually, verse 2, he says, don't let the world put you into its mold, if you read that. Don't, don't go be like the world as a Christian. You've been poured into the mold of the, the form of the sound teaching of the gospel. You're a slave, not of sin any longer. You're God recreated you. Now you're a slave to God. But only God could really melt down that person and make him a new person. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. I mean, that's, that's just a wonderful picture of what our transformation is in salvation. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. 
If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app, new and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City CA. Or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org, and follow the prompts. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.